Hello, fellow planeswalker, and welcome to Into the Ether Vortex. My name's Ninja Boy, your guide in all the different ways you can enjoy Magic the Gathering and how they all come together into something wild, wacky, and a little bit magical. Hope everyone is doing well out there. We're nearing two months, about a month and a half, of Adventures of the Forgotten Realms being out. Uh, Magic Arena just recently got, had it released on July 8th, uh, and pre-release was a week later on July 16th uh, or so. So, you know, uh, recording this, you know, on, on August 27th, yeah, that's about like a, a month and a half or so. Uh, earlier this week, we just got the announcement stream for 2022 sets, uh, which means, I guess, my schedule for uh, episodes for next year is already set at this point. Um, and spoilers for Midnight Hut start later this this next this coming week or next week um and so next month's episode is obviously going to be about midnight hunts inclusions into my decks uh but for now we're going to go over how adventures of the forgotten realms has been treating me gameplay wise First up, let's talk about the pre-release. Uh, this one was the first time I played Magic at a local game store since the pandemic started, so it was honestly kind of emotional. Uh, I ended up going to my the store nearest me, uh, Hex & Co. East here in Manhattan, uh, for the Saturday 10 a.m. pre-release. Got my playmat, my sleeves, my draft lands, and it was just good to be back in the store with Paper Magic and other people. As far as my deck, uh, as a tradition for me, I generally try to make two decks out of my pre-release pools, um, you know, just to, to switch to, to do pull a switcheroo uh, between games one and games two, and maybe games three. Uh, one deck was a green-black, much more grindy deck. Um, the rares were White, that's W-I-G-H-T, um, Long Rest, Asmodeus, The Accursed, and Lolf, Spider Queen as my stamped promo. Uh, the other was more a more aggressive red-white deck. Uh, the only rare was Guardian of Faith, uh, but I did also have the Mythic Uncommon of Valakrai Goblin, alongside four other goblins for it to, to work alongside with, um, plus a Dragon's Fire for removal. Um, it was a pretty good time you know, to go against other help, also help other people uh, make final cuts and, and assemble their deck, especially if there were people who maybe had played Arena uh, only as their magic experience, and so this was like helping them get used to the paper magic. I remember actually helping someone optimize a pretty lean, mean, uh, green-white life gain machine uh, deck, basically, uh, though I never ended up playing against them. Now, that was deck building. As far as my games went, uh, well, things didn't quite break my way, unfortunately. Now, I don't fully remember every play since it was, again, like a month and a half ago, but, you know, there were some high-level notes that I took on my phone. Uh, first up was against a guy named Evan, who actually turned out to be in the city meeting with some college friends, and they had gone to college uh, with my cousin who had just graduated, so quite a small world. Um, he had a pretty grindy blue-black uh, dungeons deck uh, with all removal, with uh, just all the removal, basically, that he could ask for. I ended up going against 0 and 2 up against him, uh, first with my green-black deck, um, and then the red-white one, uh, you know, trying to be a little bit, little bit more assertive, but couldn't quite get there. Uh, second round, unfortunately, somebody ended up dropping uh, after the first round, so with an odd number of players, I somehow ended up getting so lucky to have the buy. Um, I ended up spectating a few matches. Uh, the life gain guy who I helped deck build uh, had a pretty sweet game that I ended up watching him end up winning. Um, I saw a pretty some crazy rules interactions of what would happen if a mind flayer mind flared another mind flayer, but then that second mind flayer, uh, or the first, rather... The second mind flayer at the end of the battlefield ended up getting removed. Uh, so what happens to the first creature that the first mind flayer had mind flayered themselves? Um, who would it end up with, basically? Um, I'm not fully sure uh, if that carries the craziness across, but uh, I'm also not sure if the uh, judge call that we got, which had to be done over the phone um, to call the, the resident judge, because this was just way too crazy for everyone in the store, um, it was correct. But hey, again, that's like interaction is just pretty crazy to see in the wild. Um, also... 
uh, my local game store apparently is, is a part of actually is actually not just a, a magic game store. It's actually a board game cafe. Um, and so you know they ha- part of that they have like a kitchen in the back actually. So um, I had a very delicious chicken sandwich uh, with the thickest piece that's would thick with three C's uh, piece of chicken in between two slices of bread that I've had. Uh, even thicker than the Popeye sandwich, um, if you remember that. So round three, um, I get paired with a guy named Mitz who had a very lean red-white aggro deck of himself that overran my grindy Golgari deck. And then when I switched to the, my own red-white deck, um, his was just outclassed mine, basically. I, I believe, I believe I'm not mistaken, I, I ended up a color screwed somewhat. So, um, you know, we ended up uh, pretty, we ended pretty early, you know, as a result of me going 0-2 against an aggro deck. Um, so we ended up playing just a few extra games waiting for the next round. Um, I think I got one, uh, I think I actually won one of these games. Um, I was able to go off with long rest equal X equals 3 uh, to be able just to recur a bunch of stuff from my graveyard. Um, we also started a mini a limited commander deck a game with the uh, two people who were on the bench table next to us. Um, uh, you know, it definitely went super grindy. I, obviously, limited decks are not meant uh, for Commander. Um, one person did end up getting a Hand of Vecna onto a Light Sworn Paladin uh, to swing in for life gain every turn. Um, so, yeah, that game, unfortunately, did not finish before the next round started. Um so then, you know, this was the th- that was the third round. Going into round four, uh, well, you know, this is, you know, four rounds plus, you know, um, plus... Uh, um, uh, deck building, you know, at this point, this was like, what, four, maybe five five hours in uh, to when, you know, this we had started. Um, some people had plans for the rest of the day. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, maybe people just aren't used to it. Um, they did not drop at the end of the third round before pairings were set up. So I ended up getting paired against someone who ended up having to leave uh, to get home. Uh, so I ended up with a two and two record, despite not winning a single game of Magic. Not even a match, just a single game. So, uh, yeah, that was kind of wild. Um, the store staff did feel pretty bad for my for me, um, and also for the guy, another guy who got the buy in round three and also got paired against someone who had it to leave. So uh, we both actually ended up getting a couple extra promos, a uh, promo pack, I believe the Reliquary Tower promo uh, to you know, compensate for only getting to play two rounds of Magic when we should have been being able to play four. Um, so that was pretty nice of them. Uh, now, me and that guy, Matt, actually ended up playing a few games for fun, and I ended up going a 2-0 against them with my, my green-black deck, um, which was, you know, uh, finally able to get a win, even though it was, I guess, like, t- technically not official. So, you know, again, this is my first sanctioned Paper Magic event, event uh, not counting, you know, the the cube that I had done with some friends at, at what, someone's apartment, uh, you know, a couple weeks before. Um but yeah, aside, definitely a few hiccups. But you know, while I didn't play as well as I could have probably, um, there's still nothing quite like playing Paper Magic in store. While I can't say I've made my way back to the store just yet, you know, with Delta and everything, just wanting to be a little bit still a little bit cautious about you know going out there. Um, and again, I also started a new job recently, so still figuring all out how to balance my schedule there. Um, doing this episode just reminded me, you know, actually I need to go sign up to do pre-release uh, for Hex and Co East Midnight Hunt pre-release uh, September 18th. Uh, so if you're going to somehow be at be there. Uh, you might want into me there for the 10 a.m. pre-release, and I literally did that just as I was writing the script. Okay, so if I haven't played at my local game store lately, you know, aside from the pre-release, where have I been playing Magic? Well, where else but Magic Arena? Um, as usual, my main format has been Draft. Uh, the leaderboard reset a couple days ago uh, with the release of um, you know, the newest patch uh, with, with Jumpstart Historic Horizons, which, uh, honestly, I, I don't really have any intention of playing just so I can save my gold and my gems. Um, so, you know, as of that release, though, I've played 34 Drafts. Uh, in comparison, by the time this episode came out for Kaldheim, uh, well, over 
overall for Carlton, I think I ended up with 37 drafts. Uh, and Strixhaven, I ended up with 31. So pretty much right in that ballpark of where I, I usually am for the format. Um, you know, for those formats, you know, I, I recorded my episodes a little bit before I got to the, that number. Um, I think I had about 55% win rate for Kaldheim um, and then 46% win rate for Strixhaven. Um, so, you know... Uh, and again, that was at 22 and 27 drafts, respectively, I think. So uh, how did I end up for Adventure in the Forgotten Realms? Well, so far, I've had 95 game wins and 99 game losses uh, for a 48.9% overall win rate. Uh, so definitely not as great as I did at Kaldheim, but, you know, a little bit better than I did with Strixhaven. Now, of the 34 premier drafts that I've done, um, I've had three uh, decks go 7 and X, um, three decks that have gone 5 and 3, um, as well as four and three. Um, I've had two decks go two and three, nine decks go three and three, um, and then a whopping 10 decks going uh, one and three. Um, notably, I have not yet had actually a six and three deck, um, though I also bricked uh, with my most recent draft, which kind of convinced me, okay, I probably need to stop uh, drafting the format um, with a single 0 and three. Um, now, in comparison for Kaldheim, I ended up there with three trophies um, and uh, three six and threes. Um, and then in Strixhaven, while I only had a single trophy, Deck, I also had six, three six and three, so um, you know definitely much more geared toward like the uh, three and about the three and X basically uh, three and three um, you know win win rate for me in general. Now for the first month of the format, I forgot to track how long it took me to get the platinum. But uh, with the reset at the beginning of August, um, I actually ended up having uh, 15 drafts um, at that point. So then from there, um, it took me another one one draft to get the gold, with or two two drafts to get the gold, and then platinum took another three more after that, um, which is where I've been basically until the most recent reset. Now, looking at individual colors, you know, if you've listened to uh, Limited Resources or Lords of Limited or just paid attention online, you probably know that red-black is kind of the deck to beat, um, followed by red-white. So, um, obviously, it makes sense that out of my 34 drafts, uh, red is by far my most drafted color at 22 decks total. That's almost a full two-thirds of all the decks I've drafted this format. Uh, in second place is white with 15 decks, and then black at 13 decks, and then green and blue come up with 9 and 8, respectively, um, which makes sense given again that they are the lowest power um, decks out there now win rate rise black and white are actually my most winning deck color pair uh, colors um, black went 40 versus 37 uh, for 51.9 percent win rate and then white went 46 43 at the 51.7 percent win rate uh, red comes in third at below 50 percent with 48.4 percent with 60 to 64 in games um, I think this might be a case of me actually having uh, overdrafted and forcing red um, when it might not have been fully open earlier on and not really under understanding how that deck worked. Um, green and blue do follow it up with green having a 25-27 in games for a 48.1% win rate, and then blue has 18 and 24 games for a miserable 42.9% win rate. Now, digging into color pairs, I've played every color pair uh, except blue-black at least once. Um, I also had a single card draft that I'm counting as basically mono-white. It had a couple of red cards and, and like one blue card, but you know the vast majority of the cards were mono-white, basically. Um, aside from that one deck, um, I also had two decks splashing blue. Uh, one was a black-red deck splashing blue for Criddle of Baldur's Gate. Uh, one was a white-black deck splashing for a couple of dungeon payoffs like Eccentric Apprentice and Shortcut Seeker, which probably I shouldn't have. I might have been a little unplayable, I think. Um, and then I had two decks splashing for white, uh, one red-black deck splashing for Bear Run of, of Down of um, of Clan Under, and then one red-green deck splashing for Minsk. Um, I had a two decks splashing for green, uh, one red-black deck splashing for Skeletal Swarming, um, and one white-black 
a life gain deck for two Lurking Loopers. And then I splashed red once, uh, though I forgot to actually save the deck list. So I actually don't remember what I splashed red for in a blue-white deck. Now, actually, there was one deck where I actually did double splash two different colors. So it was a, um, a base bla white-black dungeon deck um, where I relied on treasures and whatnot to splash for a blue and red for a Xanathar and Runor, respectively. Though that didn't pay off. I only ended up going three and three. Now, for win rates, uh, excluding splashes, going into the individual color pairs, technically Golgari Black-Green would be my best performing color pair at 62.5% win rate, but that's because I only had one draft with it going 5-3. and three. Um, Now, going into White-Black at four drafts, uh, I, I had 15-11. Uh, 15 wins, 11 losses in games for a 57.7% win rate, um, which also makes sense given white and black are my two individual highest, um, you know, uh, colors with the highest win rates. Um, white red at six drafts had a 20 to 17 uh, games in games going 54.1% um, win rate. Um, my single white green draft went three and three for an even 50% win rate, and then the other archetypes below 50%. Red black, despite being the best deck in the best deck in the format, I went 20 to 20. 23 in games over eight matches, um, the most of any color pair, for a 46.5% win rate. Uh, red Green went 13-15 in five matches for a 46.4% win rate, just below that. And then White Blue and Red Blue, or, or Red Blue, both had a three matches uh, with a 7-9 in games each for a 43.8% uh, uh, win rate. And then my two Blue Green decks went four and six for a 40% win rate. Now, one thing I think that stands out looking at my Excel seat is, again, I definitely set my force red black um, early on after just hearing how great it was and wanting to live the dream of price of loyalty plus sack outlets. Prior to the reset, um, I was uh, in, in August. I was ten. I was um, ten and fifteen in games over uh, five uh, red black drafts out of fourteen drafts total. So again. Um, no, definitely overdrafted. You know, definitely red was super, super overrepresented there. Um, whereas I only had three red black drafts over after the reset out of twenty total, um, and I went ten and eight there. Now, granted, one of the first like one of the drafts uh, after the reset was seven and two, uh, which you know otherwise means that I you know went uh, three and six in my other two drafts. Um, but I think the fewer number of total, right, like three out of twenty drafts as opposed to five out of fourteen drafts, uh, means that I probably learned to stop forcing it, um, especially when it might have been overdrafted by other pod, pod players. Um, and I was just more open to other decks. Uh, going back to me forcing red, uh, 12 out of 14 total drafts prior to the reset um, had red in them versus only 10 out of 20 drafts um, after the reset. Now, still a majority, almost, but you know that's just the power of red, I think, inherently. Um, it's not nearly as forced. My win rate pre-reset when I was forcing red was about 46.1%, uh, 35 to 41 in games, um, but that also was including my first draft being red-white with a lucky 7-2. Um, without that particular draft, I would have actually been closer to 41.8% win rate in red. Um, afterwards, when I learned to be a bit more open to colors and drafting them when they were open to me, um, I got an even 50-50 win rate for red uh, with 61 wins and 61 losses. So let's dig into some of my specific favorite decks of the format that I've drafted. So like I mentioned, my first draft was a 7-2 white-red equipment deck with a pack one, pick one, Delina Wild Maids. Um, somehow I got away with uh, seven plus five drops on only 16 lands. Um, but hey, I guess I somehow I made it work. Uh, the best play of the, ma of the of this deck was definitely, you know, I think it was game six or something like, or, or for, my, for my sixth win when I would have otherwise been knocked out. Um, I got Delina to copy herself off of her trigger uh, four times by having a burst 
barbarian class in play, um, I definitely would have lost that game otherwise. I had the, the opponent had lethal on board. And then, as I noted, I had a slew of pretty mediocre decks till, you know, just before the reset where I got a red-green splash white deck uh, with three different legends. Uh, Minsk, as I mentioned, uh, Eliwick the Planeswalker, um, and Varys Silvery Moon Ranger. Unfortunately, this one only went 1-3 in three overall. Uh, might have been, I think, the only deck in the format, you know, that Bard class might have actually been the good one had I gotten one. But, um, yeah, I think this one, just, this one didn't just come together. I think um, I had been listening to your limited resources and was trying to do the Marshall thing of, like, a a red green almost like a you know stall out with death uh, the basilisk's early game um and then into hard gorges later on um now the first real streamlined non-red deck after which i did after the reset uh was a 3-3 white black deck built around the black staff of um water deep or sorry white blue deck um unfortunately i couldn't go the distance with it um again going only 3-3 but i really saw the power of you know having a that one this particular rare as a build around um and also that i didn't really need to force right i just need to be open to whatever came my way um and, and, you know, I started getting a closer to 50% win rate afterwards. Um, another artifact build around that I ended up finding I liked was Oswald Fiddlebender in a deck a few drafts later. I actually got two of him in this deck. Uh, he ended up wheeling. Most of the artifacts passed were equipment, uh, which pa paired nicely with a Bruno that I splashed for. Now... Again, this is also the deck where I got Xanathar uh, in the open in the later pack. So of course, you know, with all the adventuring or grim bounties or treasure chest with a lot of treasures, um, I definitely tried my luck uh, with splashing here. Um, only went three and three again, but still pretty pleased to try this piece together. Um, you know, I definitely did push the artifact team whenever I could. I got like an Oswald or a, a Black Staff in later drafts, probably uh, maybe forcing it when I didn't have. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I, I, again, there's that other deck that was basically um, mono white, where I had a fighter class and a black staff that I splashed for, and it went one and three, and another white blue deck with black staff, but only also two plate armors and the book of exalted deeds, I believe, went three and three. Uh, so the next draft I got an I that I got a trophy for and actually into platinum ap after the reset was a good old red black deck. Now this one had everything: Kalandi and Common Signpost Legend, Zorn the Treasure Multiplier to go with her, Orcus Prince of Undeath as just a big flampling blom, uh, two Death Priests of Merkel and Delina Wildmaids. Now my only regret was that while I had like five sack outlets with two ghouls, uh, two merchants, and one deadly dispute, I only had one price of loyalty here, uh, which means I couldn't really make the most of it. But that being said, you know, this one taught me that while while I had been have been saying I learned to like not force red black, um, to be all about price of loyalty, it also showed me that this deck didn't need that price loyalty to win. Um and in fact looking back, I actually was planning on going blue red because I think I opened the Lena first pick, um, and I got some Pixie twins um in pack one. Uh, so I was trying to do the Pixie thing twin thing in draft um until you know the other red and black pieces started falling into my lap here. So again, the lessons to stay open and draft what is open for you. Now, I also had the aforementioned, speaking of, I had the aforementioned Golgari deck that I went 5-3, and three, um, with which I definitely knew was open when I saw two Sesra Death Whispers uh, wheeling around, which is totally a signal in here, which paired nicely with the Frogamoth that I opened. Um, possibly my second favorite deck of the format um, came a couple a little bit after, uh, went 3-3, three and three, uh, so didn't go all the way, but it was a blue-green ramp deck where I actually, you know, I think it was pack one pick when I got the Tarask, I think, um, and... 
I just went for it basically, or maybe it was pack two when I got it. Um, but I also had a Volo in there, and you know, just all of like you know that the Neverwinter Dryad that basically can can sack itself to get a land, um, Clever Conjurer to untap lands, um, the Enchantment that ventures into the dungeon and get tap has a land tap for double green, like, and also had a, a Dragon Rare as well to like help stall things out a little bit. Um, you know, again, I was able to cast Tarask, uh hard cast in one game and win that one, which is pretty dope. Now, ironically, I ended up actually ending my run losing again. Against another Tarask deck, um, which I feel is probably only is only appropriate. Now I will, I, I think I almost had that game out of nowhere, but they, the Tarask came out of nowhere. So now I will say that that was my second favorite deck. My absolute favorite deck of the format was probably the last trophy that I got. So I started off pack one, pick one with a portable hole, and then second pack, uh, second pick went uh, Battlecry Goblin, and third pick a uh, Hobgoblin Captain. So pretty standard, you know, red white start. Um, that said, then I started seeing Grim Bounties come around, and so maybe okay, maybe drop the portable hole, go red black. Um, but then I noticed red was being cut. I didn't really get any strong red cards the rest of the pack. Um, and there were also a few black cards as well, but not as many. But then I noticed Celestial Unicorns wheeling, and then also some Sylvan Steppards and Priests of the Ancient Lore, which I kind of started to pick up because, hey, white seemed pretty open, especially the life game uh, theme. So maybe I could go like a, a white-green deck. But then I opened Triumphant Adventurer in pack two, and a Reaper's Talisman, Talisman uh, pick two, pack two, um, so as well as another Grim Bounty. So that maybe puts me into maybe white black, you know, use um, Reaper's Talisman and you know, the Life Gain uh, Dungeon Venture, uh, you know, triggers to, to try to trigger those. Um, and then, you know, that's what solidified it was like a, a Grandmaster Flowers pack five as well as a Dancing Sword. So what brought it together, no, though, was I, I, like I said, I splashed uh, a couple of Lurking Ropers um, into this deck. No, I didn't really have any, um, I didn't really have any. Uh, uh, evolving wilds. Um, I just had two um, two forests because it wasn't strictly necessary that I have the lurking ropers. They would probably be uh, near the top of my curve. Um, and then I also had you know again the grim bounties making treasure help as well there. Um, so yeah, I, there was just a ton of redundancy, right? I had like two Dawnbringer clerics, three Setfast Paladins, and two Priests of the Forgotten Lores. That was enough to fuel the three Celestial Unicorns on their own. It was also really nice to have Reaper's Talisman, you know, be able to put that in there to basically, um, you know, put it on a, on a, on a, um, on a unicorn and it ends up growing uh, whenever it attacks by itself. Um, you know, the Dawnbringer clerics, you know, the biggest threat here was, you know, the, the enchantment removal that would basically keep my creatures tapped down. Putting in a, a Dawnbringer Cleric to be able to destroy those enchantments was also really helpful if I didn't need the extra life gain. Um, and then, you know, Reaper Talisman also worked really nicely with the Lurking Ropers uh, to give it pseudo-vigilance. So, you know, just so much redundancy and interlocking Piyakas of Sydney that it, was, it felt kind of unbeatable. Obviously, I went 7-2 and two with it. Uh, so yeah, that was Avengers of the Forgotten Realms draft for me. Not the best performance overall, obviously, and I'm hoping you know in the future that I, I get a little bit better with Midnight Hunt. The fact that the Red Black is just so prevalent and super powerful compared to just everything else in the format has me holding off from, from drafting more of it until Midnight Hunt comes around. Um, that being said, I am about level 67 out of 80 on the Mastery Pass, um, so I definitely have a little bit more grinding to do to finish that um, via constructed formats in the meantime. So, um, like the rest of the Magic world, you know, I'm kind of tired of Throne of Eldraine being in standard, so I've just been sticking to best of one in standard 2022, sometimes ranked, sometimes not, um, you know, 
and you know, early on, I definitely abused the uh, Faceless Book combo from uh, Book of Exalted Deeds, making Faceless Haven into a Platinum Angel that can't be targeted, basically, without you know, without a lot of land destruction running around the format, um, as played by Saffron Olive. Um, I did swap in four Field of Ruin in case I ran into the mirror, um, because that was really the only thing I was super worried about. But uh, not only did that get banned eventually, it also ended up, you know, this deck played way too long. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're not playing to to win, you're playing to not lose, basically, uh, where you can't lose, and the opponent basically has to either deck themselves or concede, basically, um, which was not great if I, you know, especially if they were stubborn or wanted to punish me for whatever for playing this busted deck, or um, they just didn't get what was happening and thought it was a bug. So not the best way to quickly rack up daily wins. So, you know, next up I tried a variant of Pixie Twin, um, and if you haven't heard of this, this is basically um, the Lena Wild Maids uh, combined with um, a Pixie Guide, um, you know, Pixie Guide basically makes it so that the odds of rolling uh, a critical, like a, a positive, an extra positive effect for uh, Delina Wildmates to make Rossi rolls again um, increases the more Pixie Guides there are on the field. So at some point, you know, functionally you're going to go infinite with just having a, a stupid amount of Pixie Guides on the field, helping Delina um, keep continually roll at infinitum to get Splinter Twin, basically. Um, kind of that very aggro-y, combo-y deck that I, I end up liking and, you know, makes me realize, I guess, if, if it was legal and modern still, I would probably be a Splinter Twin player. Now, I did do this in standard 2022 queues, so not quite the same list as Saffron Olive played when he sewed this off. Um, that being said, I didn't really have that much success with the deck overall. While I was able to get the combo to go off a couple times, and it was super thrilling whenever I was able to do so, I think it felt a little too clunky. You know, this was too much removal going around to um, compare to whatever, every, what, everything else in the format had too much removal for um, my pixie guides and whatnot so that I couldn't get them down in multiples enough before Delina got down. Down. So um, it just wasn't easy enough to get the wins, fr frankly speaking. The win rate wasn't high enough. Now, that being said, I settled on my main deck of the format that is both quick and also got a lot of wins, uh, Mono Red Goblins. Uh, boy, this thing is a beast. I don't remember exactly where I got the list I'm playing, uh, but um, this one has the sequencing decisions that really remind me of like Modern Burn. It plays only 19 lands. It can steamroll explosively with Balakai Goblins supported by Hobgoblin Bandit Lords and Goblin Trash Masters as Lords, um, which, you know, they're definitely also uh, matchups where remo artifact removal is super key uh, with the Goblin Trash Master. Uh, raid Bombardments is sneaky good uh, with all the 1-1 goblins and allowing for some suicide swings where you don't care how many die, you just want to get like, the extra triggers off. Um, Den of the Bugbeer is a great way to, to win games with you know the multiple rats, and you know the uh, Den of the Bugbeer can continue to swing in for four each turn. Um, and I love the flexibility of you saw a pair of goblins either being you know an anthem effect for attacking um, or uh, giving me two extra bodies at instant speed, whatever I need. Um, I will say Mono Green, Stompy was definitely a beast to, to have to deal with uh, with my understated creatures um, but I end up swapping in uh, two burning hands in uh, for two um, frostbites uh, to take care of the trolls and the frogamots um, you know, my favorite sequence is probably, you know, a one-drop goblin one, um, Balakrai goblin on two, and then another one-drop goblin plus uh, activating Balakrai goblin for um, for one in the red on turn three uh, in order to get to... Um, in order to get to, you know, the uh, pack tactics early on by turn three um, and swing in. Um, I also, you know, really like playing, you know, uh, uh, if I have a choice between, say, a, uh, um, a, a, 
a hobgoblin um, bandit lord, or um, you know, maybe um, you know, th there's this one that card that's actually not in standard sets, um, but it's in like the arena sort of kit. I forget the, uh, the name exactly, but it's the one where you know the first copy will give you two goblins, and the second one um, that you cast will make two plus the one plus one for the other copy in the graveyard, um, and so on. Um, so it's really nice to actually play. If I have a between playing that or um, hobgoblin bandit lord, I might play the bal go the the goblin lord first if I don't think there's removal and then play the second one and then use um, the uh, Goblin Lord as a sock basically on whatever removal I need to do or even just directly the face. Um, so that's nice to be able to, to have that flexibility and, and know when it's appropriate to do that. Um, I will say I'm actually pretty proud that I was able to pilot this deck during the August season to go all the way to Mythic uh, and Constructed. Now it was granted it was right at the very end so I didn't get you know top 1200 Mythic or whatever um, but still it's kind of funny that I actually got here with a standard with a constructed deck as opposed to a limited deck um, which I always thought I would get there with limited at first but there you go um, oh also again like I said super straightforward to play I can do it on mobile arena not having to worry about like I did with historic storm of bouncing and unbouncing and accidentally timing out and whatever because it was too slow just you know cast a zombie press all attacks and go um, and yeah it's super fast and it wins enough to be get my daily uh, quests out pretty quickly now speaking of uh, the um, the quests, um, so obviously I can't do the color-based quests, um, you know, with a mono red deck always. Uh, so I needed to have a little bit of variety. Uh, for green, I just went with mono stompy green. Um, pretty straightforward. Just copy that deck and, and run it. It's, it's pretty much plays like a straight-up aggro deck, which I really enjoy. Um, if blue is a required, uh, you know, color, I actually will go with Saffron Olive's copy mill deck uh, with Tosses hideous laughter and ruined crabs and um, and oh, crabs or whatever and uh i think it's ruin ruin crab and then um yeah and copying those to you know really get people out of nowhere that alternate win con not the most consistent like pixie but a little bit more like pixie twin and it's just very satisfying to get that win um for black i've been playing with vecnatron that saf and olive also played um pretty fun to try to assemble that um bit grindier games to be honest but still pretty fun um i also ha want to try out the vorpal sword combo as a deck which i have you know bookmarked and i want to try out before you know things start to rotate but I haven't gotten around to it just yet. Um, between those, I think I have four of the five colors uh, covered for daily quests, which is good enough. I still haven't figured out um, a mono, uh, a white deck that I really enjoy playing in the format. So. Um, now, two last decks worth mentioning for events, uh, with Historic Brawl now being a permanent thing and upgraded to 100 cards, um, I upgraded my Magda Brazen Outlaws Dragon Approach deck with some of the new dragons from Adventures of the Forgotten Realm, uh, and as for whenever there's an event that calls for it, I'll be ready for that. Um, and then I also did the Yawning Portal event for card styles, and while I was, I basically just played a mono-red aggro deck, I think I found the list online from MTGA Zone, um, typical for me to play an aggro deck here, but, you know, it was pretty fun. Uh, now that being said, uh, speaking of events, I it is worth mentioning I did do the flashback drafts for Kalidus and Amonkhet Remastered as well as Ikoria. Did not do very well uh, there at all. I think maybe like two or three wins across all of those drafts combined. Um, so yeah, definitely been a while since I drafted those. But you know, sadly, no arena open this set for limited. Though apparently, with draft arena open coming in the future, definitely looking forward to to participating in those. 
Uh, and that's Adventures of the Forgotten Realm for me. Like I said, I'm pretty likely going to be taking a bit of a break uh, doing, you know, uh, playing Arena beyond doing my daily quest to try to finish the Mastery Pass and, you know, save some gems and gold for Midnight Hunt. Uh, mostly with the Goblins deck, maybe try out that Vorpal, Vorpal Sword deck. Um, but yeah, I, like I said, I started a new job, which kind of plays into that. But also a new job means that hopefully I can finally do all those upgrades for decks I've been talking about for the last year and a half. Um, but, you know, de again, definitely looking forward to going back to the store to play pre-release for uh, Innistrad again. Um, and definitely getting some more Commander and hopefully cube games with some of my friends in. Um, which again, final side note, Infinity being announced. Uh, super excited for that. Uh, for my hopefully able to build a Silver Border, the Dice Cube deck. In any case, this podcast is now coming to its resolution. Uh, let me know how you've been doing with Adventures of the Forgotten Realms. How has your draft experience been going? How have, you know what decks have you been playing in standard 2022 or other formats on Arena? Um, are you looking forward to getting into uh, back into the uh, pre-release and in-person stores uh, near you? If you're able to safely, uh, please get your vaccine if you can. Um, you know, let me know on Twitter at EtherVortexPod or via email at IntoTheEtherVortex at gmail.com. You can find Into the Ether Vortex on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. You can leave a review on any of those podcast stories on podchaser.com links in the show notes uh, my architect with all my deck lists are linked under the username ninja boy boy with an i into and outro music from kevin macleod at incompetech.filmmusic.io editing production by ninja boy media next episode i will be checking out i'll be checking in on what cards from midnight hunt spoilers will be making it into my decks um, maybe i'll actually move up my discussion of my pre-release uh from you know this type of episode to that episode just because like i don't want it to be you know like two months removed uh from the pre-release when I finally talk about it so um, yeah uh, we'll see we'll see if I end up having time to do that then but until then may your deck lands be plentiful but not too plentiful past the turn mm -hmm.